smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the Unprecedented Podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Welcome, everybody. John Aravosis here. Today, we're very pleased to have Congressman Eric Swalwell of California with us. Uh, Congressman, thank you for joining us. You're in, of I course, John. You're right. I'm in California. I'm in Castro Valley, which is uh, right at the heart of my district in the East Bay. Right. Now, have you guys been coming back and forth then? I guess you've been having to, no? I've been limiting uh, my back and forth. Uh, but, uh, you know, this week, especially with unemployment insurance running out, uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, get home before we get called back to, to hopefully vote on that and just see the need. And so I just came from uh, a Meals to Wheels uh, food bank uh, service that I was helping out. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, the, uh, the need is there. And uh, right. it's very hard to see you know, so many folks uh, who probably never imagined themselves six months ago uh, being in a line like that. What, I was just curious, I mean, I, I want to jump into coronavirus and the economy, but has, I don't recall, has the speaker looked into whether you can do distance voting for your <laughs> mail-in voting, so to speak, but I mean, for the House that you guys can vote distance, or is that just not even a possibility? So we are in a way, and I actually, uh, you know, made a push for this uh, back in February. Uh, I have long had legislation that would allow Congress to vote remotely in a situation like this. Uh, but uh, this pandemic, you know, really forced the conversation and uh, the speaker has allowed proxy voting. So uh, people can show up in person and carry someone else's vote and just, you know, vote by proxy. Uh, but also I had called for committee hearings to be uh, remote. And uh, the good news is uh, that committee hearings are uh, now working uh, and functioning uh, remotely. So we've seen Congress, you know, adjust uh, with the times too. Uh, my preschooler, he does some of his classes uh, by Zoom, uh, and you know so many Americans are working uh, right now, you know, by uh, Zoom or WebEx, and uh, you know working remotely. And it's time, you know, Congress does as well. And so uh, it's been an adjustment, but it was needed. Yeah, yeah. Let's you know, let's jump right in. I think you, I know, had already tweeted about uh, the Jonathan Swan Oxios interview with Trump that was done a few days ago, but it finally, I guess, the whole thing was published last night. So we all got to see clips today. Really, kind of. Not surprising, but also horrific at the same time. Yeah, why did he agree you know, to that? Uh. I don't know. Well, Swan, <laughs> especially Swan, isn't a pushover. I mean, from the beginning, he's always had that. I would almost say a foreigner's ability to. The foreign press seems a little edgier than our guys sometimes. I think, even though I like and, our and guys. John, John's an American. Uh, oh, is he? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, uh, he's a citizen. Um, he ah. he may have been born. Uh, he sounds Australian. Yeah, he uh, I, I think yeah, wow. Australian uh, native, but yeah, he's a U.S. citizen now, um, but he is a, a tough interviewer, uh, yeah. you know, doesn't doesn't care which side uh, you're on. And, and the president, um, you know, looked like the kid who was being grilled by the teacher and hadn't done his homework. Yeah, it was it was, you know, sometimes you have secondhand uh, embarrassment. Uh, I had secondhand embarrassment watching uh, that. Oh, uh, a number of people had tweeted that when I put up the video this morning. Some woman wrote me back and said, I'm actually embarrassed for him. You know, and I don't even know, but, I mean, but really, I, how no. did we get to this point? What I mean, a country that uh, imperfect, but a country that, you know, has, has been great, uh, you know, many times and has stood up uh, and addressed many challenges over 240 plus years. Uh, it is hard to, to see what's happened in just three and a half years uh, to our country. Uh, you know, the, pre the president has brought this country, uh, you know, to its knees and we need someone who's going to you know, pick us up, move us forward. But he's not capable of doing that in another term. You know, I, I sort of see two sub issues there when we start talking about how this all happened. One of which is, how can somebody like Trump still have 40% support? 
because what it, and I've talked on it, about it on the podcast a lot. It's really sort of scared me as a student of history, seeing this happen here, because I think we've often, even as Democrats, right? I certainly have a, a sense of America's exceptionalism, warts and all. I, sort of Ted Kennedy's approach, right? You know, always fighting for something better, but always saying this is a great country, but it's great because we can become better, right? But the idea that 40% of the country still supports this man, it worries me. It worries me on a much deeper level that, that Trump could happen again. And frankly, we could get a smarter Trump next time, and then we're really in trouble. Uh, he is only, uh, we are only saved by his uh, incompetence. Uh, you know, he, he's corrupt, but he's incompetent. And, yeah. and he has competent people enabling you know, his corruption. We've certainly seen uh, that. But, I, you know, John, I, I'm really confident uh, that, you know, the American people uh, are resilient uh, and that they will want to uh, climb out of this and he's not going to be reelected. And, you know, sometimes as Democrats, uh, we fight the last war and we look at this like it's 2016 and, you know, Hillary had a lead uh, at this point and Trump came back and uh, surprised all of us. He's the president now, so it's a referendum on the incumbent. He's presiding over the worst economy since the Great Depression. His failures of leadership from the pandemic to racial justice matters uh, have been exposed. And so I, I would rather be us uh, than them. And we have a candidate uh, who is seen as a, a seasoned hand. And when I ran for president uh, before the pandemic uh, happened, uh, before you know, we finally made progress on racial justice, what I was hearing across the country uh, was great. I'm glad uh, you know, someone from the next generation is running uh, but too much is at stake, you know, to roll the dice uh, on a generational leader. And that, that was hard to hear, but that reflected that, you know, for too many people, they just could not uh, tolerate a second term of Donald Trump. And, and that's why I think Biden uh, is perfectly suited uh, to beat him in November. Right. Are we able to unwind everything Trump has done by simply electing Biden? And I don't just mean policy-wise, but I worry that Trump has set so many precedents and expose so many flaws in the system itself, right? I mean, we thought we thought Congress would be the counterpoint to the president, and guess what? It's not. No, no fault of your own. Yeah, yeah. we're a third up the a third of the way up the mountain, right? We've we've won the House, and we're no longer helpless. We're able to, uh, you know, thank God. Yeah, conduct. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> we're able to conduct oversight. We're able to fund uh, or defund, you know, priorities of the president. You know, to leverage that oversight. And, you know, we've been able to advance, you know, a lot of issues that we were not able to advance uh, in, in years past. But we need to have that holy trinity, you know, the White House, the Senate uh, and the House. And that's all within reach uh, this coming election. And when we do that, I think the first hundred hours, it's going to be, uh, you know, fulfilling the relief need that's there around uh, coronavirus uh, on the healthcare side, on distributing a vaccine, making sure that we still have testing, tracing uh, and treatments. Uh, but then we're going to be on a road to recovery, and that's going to mean investments uh, in infrastructure, you know, investments in uh, rural broadband and, you know, uh, greening the economy, greening the, the economy with clean energy uh, projects and, and bridges and roads and tunnels that will need to be constructed and can put people back to work. So I, I think there's a lot that we can do, uh, you know, in the first 100 hours on relief and then the first 100 days uh, on recovery. What do we do about Bill Barr and the rest of them once Biden comes in? Do we just wipe our hands and say, you know, the way Democrats do, and to some degree in the past, I've supported it, right? Uh, you know, Obama came in and we sort of ignored Bush. And a lot of people didn't like it, but I sort of understood it. Obama had to, well, again, we had an economic crisis Obama had to focus on. But now there's a part of me that feels, put aside the revenge. How do we show Washington 
that our government should not function this way unless we hold people responsible for our government functioning this way. People, people like Bill Barr, but frankly, Donald Trump as well. Do we just forgive so, them and move on? I mean, it's- we don't, we don't forget and move on. And, but we also want people to be held accountable in, in, in a credible way that the public uh, believes. And, and so what I propose is a, a presidential crimes commission to look at uh, whether the president or anyone who worked for him you know, committed crimes uh, and have an independent commission of, you know, experts and prosecutors, uh, people who are not, you know, aligned with the current uh, administration or the new administration, but can recommend, you know, how people should be held accountable. Because I, I think it's going to need uh, to have that type of credibility uh, to not be perceived as, you know, political punishment. And, and I don't want to do, you know, the I don't want to do Trump justice, because in Trump justice, you know, the facts don't matter. It's really about you know, helping your friends and punishing your enemies. We don't want to punish our enemies. We want to make sure that the rule of law still means something in our country and it has to be independent. And that's, I think, the best way to go about it. We've done that before uh, in history and I think we may have to do that uh, post-Trump. It's a, matter about, it's a matter of Congress being able to enforce its subpoena power. It's, it's, I understand the need for justice to set an example for future actors, but I'm more concerned about somehow fixing the system because clearly the checks and balances aren't working. How do we, and we've got to define the problem first, which means we've got to have somebody look into what Trump did and we figure out how to fix it so that a Democrat can't do this in the future either. You know, it's, it's really right. both, uh, but it's spinning it that way, which, you know, the Republicans, of course, they're going to say we're having a witch hunt and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's just a given, but. You know, Republicans, Republicans are going to rue the day that they uh, vote, they voted against, you know, so many accountability measures that we tried to put forward that they would want on some future Democratic president, uh, you know, like whistleblower protections. They used to care about yeah. protecting whistleblowers. And I promise when they, they're in the wilderness and it's a Democratic administration and, and they have concerns about you know, whatever, they're going to want whistleblowers to be protected right. and able to come forward. And, and right. they have consistently voted uh, against that and, and, and so many other Measures And I, I tell them all the time, uh, John, that hmm. there is going to be a post-president. Donald Trump is not always going to be president. There's going to be a president after Donald Trump. And just be careful how far you go to protect him, because you may lose the ability to ever hold you know, a Democratic president accountable. And I would want to hold, hold a corrupt Democratic president accountable if that ever uh, presented itself. And they have voted against every means of which right. we'd be able to do that. But I think they know you will. I think they know that A, a Democrat probably will never do the kind of things Trump did, and B, even a Democrat, look, even with Bill Clinton, I remember back then, I mean, I was just a you know, consultant or whatever, but I remember I supported him, but I remember talking to a friend of mine and saying, you know, I don't want him impeached, but I kind of wish I could just wake up and magically he was gone. Just because <laughs> I wanted to, I, yeah. I love, no, and I love Bill Clinton. I defend him to the depth to this day. And I take off a lot of people on the left for doing it, but, but it was so much trouble at that point that I just wished he'd gone. And I, I, and my point there is, I think we, even though a lot of people defending Clinton, we are more honest. And frankly, what Clinton did was, you know, this compared well, to what Trump has done. <laughs> right. right. You know, but, but in any case, I mean, I, I think the Republicans know that we're not going to, we're not going to steal a Supreme Court seat. We're not going to do the kind of crazy, we're not going to let a plague ravage the country and mum yeah. ourselves because, hey, you know, it's our guy. Right. And I think it's what Lieutenant Colonel Vindman said, uh, right matters. Um, you know, right still matters. And uh, I, I hope that's a value that not just Democrats care about, but, you know, everyone cares about that you right. know, doing what's right has to matter.
What, what do we do about the Fox News problem? And I say that in the sense of, I worry that part of the coronavirus problem, not a part, let's face it, is you know, the, the fake news, but the real fake news. We're having a problem because the Republicans control their own media that basically just spouts lies and we, we can't get around it. I have family members I'm arguing with this about still, who still are telling me, you know, I think it's really just a flu and I'm going, guys, it's not like a conspiracy of health experts. <laughs> You know, I mean, it... <laughs> right. So I, I go, I take most invitations from Fox uh, to go, you know, on their show, uh, defend what we believe in, speak to uh, what I call uh, Fox News bystanders, you know, people who may right. not have controlled uh, the channel being, you know, turned to Fox, but they're still, you know, watching because right. either their spouse or their boss or you know, someone around them has it on. So I want to make sure we're communicating to those folks, but also anyone that did turn it on themselves. I don't want to write them off and I want to defend what we believe in because as I said, I, I think right matters and right. we're on the side of right uh, in this battle versus right uh, and wrong. And so we, we can't just you know, give up on them. Uh, and so go into that, uh, you know, Fox then, uh, if you will. And you know, I, I think we may not win all of them, but we can at least you know, defend ourselves uh, because it's clear what they're doing over there um, to you know, be in many ways, especially their evening hosts, you know, state media uh, for the president. Right. You know, it's funny. I used to go on Fox a lot, but back in like the 2000s on gay rights issues, O'Reilly used to have me on back in like the early part of the 2000s when O'Reilly actually started to have a little bit of a crack in the veneer. And he was actually, yeah. he ended up being very supportive on a lot of gay stuff or LGBT, well, gay back then. And, uh, and I stopped going along with a lot of other folks on the left just because Fox went so crazy that, you know, but, but it's interesting you raise that because I was surprised when I would go on, and mind you, this is 20 years ago, and people would see me, or either I get emails, or people would actually see me and go, you know, I, don't, I didn't necessarily agree with you, but that was really interesting. Like, you really made me think, and frankly, they liked, and I, I put you in the same boat, they liked that somebody on the left was presenting themselves as a reasonable person and presenting a reasonable argument. Because they don't even, yeah. because of what Fox says, they don't even imagine there are that's people right. like us. <laughs> you know? That, that, that's right. And... and People have come up to me uh, before as I've gone across the country and pulled me aside and have said, um, I watch you on Fox News. And then they look around and they say, you know, I didn't turn the channel there. My husband did. But, you know, Funny. keep at it. Keep going on there. And hmm. it's usually women. Uh, right. Uh, but right. again, it just it shows me that we, we can't write them off. Uh, we should keep engaging. I don't go and talk to Carlson anymore. Uh, I, I right. think he's Hannity. Uh, embraced. I, do you go on Hannity? Yeah. I've never, I, no. my, mom, my mom made me promise 20 years ago to never go on Hannity. <laughs> yeah, I, so I, I like, yeah. I do Martha McCallum's show. Um, I think she's tough uh, and fair. I've, I've done Chris Wallace, uh, as you yeah, probably heard the president, yeah. complained, complained to Chris Wallace that uh, Chris Wallace has had me on recently. The president was complaining about that. Right. Um, Bill Hemmer, I think is, is fair. Uh, right. And so, yeah, I, I've done a lot of the Fox shows and I, will continue to do so because, as I said, I, I want to communicate to everyone. Right. What do, what do we do with the election if Trump doesn't leave? I mean, I know I saw you tweet about it, maybe jokingly, but, you know, you were calling him President Snowflake. I think it was about the, the election. But, but he said this enough that I know he's just trying to poke the hornet's nest, but I feel like there's a bit of the real Trump coming through. And I feel like if he's got a chance, he's going to contest this and do what they did to Wellstone, not to, uh, not to Wellstone, was it to Wellstone? I'm forgetting. Oh, no, it was uh, Al Franken, wasn't it, that they held it yeah. up for six months? You know, that they're going to do it writ large. Uh, they, did it to, they did it to Al Gore. I mean, it's... Well, what we have to do, is, and so I played sports in college, and I remember whenever I complained about, 
a ref, my coach would always tell me or my teammates, well, then don't make it close. Uh, and yeah. his point was, you know, if you blow out the score, then it doesn't really matter uh, what the ref is doing. And so I, I think while a majority should be enough in America, you know, the pressure is on right now uh, for Biden uh, and Democrats to win big, because if we win big, then I think the president uh, just, you know, leaves office, uh, you know, tail between his legs. He'll say it was rigged. He'll blame, you know, whoever. Right. Uh, but if it's close, that's where he could thrive uh, and file frivolous lawsuits, welcome foreign interference to amplify right. discord, invite armed camo geared militiamen to bring their assault rifles to the Capitol to protect him. You can just imagine. That, that's what scenarios. I'm worried about. Yeah. Can you imagine those guys surrounding the White House? Yeah. I absolutely he, he imagine would, it. No, yeah. He, yes. He, yeah. So if, if it's not close, then I, I, I think he, he'll see the writing on the wall. If it's close, that's where, as you said, he can drive into chaos. So let's not let it be close. Right. The best way to avoid it is just to trounce him. And Congressman, we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. All right. You know what I hate? When your social media pop-ups with a summer vacation pic from five years ago, great memories, but ugh, it's like, when did those wrinkles and bags around my eyes show up? Not this summer. No more pop-up pics of me with deep wrinkles, fine lines, and bags under my eyes. And nope, I didn't get surgery. I got Flexiderm. Flexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags, all in the comfort of your home in minutes. Flexiderm goes on clear and lasts for hours, so nobody will know your secret. The results will blow you away. Get Plexiderm and love how you look and feel this summer in the mirror and in photos. Go try, try Plexiderm.com, that's P-L-E-X-A-Derm.com, and use our code VOICES for half off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm plus an additional $10 off. Or try a $14.95 trial pack today by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mention code VOICES. Again, that's visit tryplexiderm.com and use code VOICES for half off a full-size bottle plus an additional $10 off. Or try a $14.95 trial pack when you use the code VOICES. And for our last ad, did you know that a large percentage of the face masks sold on the market today are fraudulent? Many of them claim to have levels of filtration they don't meet, or worse, have virtually no filtration at all. A very small number of manufacturers have respirator face mask models that are tested in the U.S. by the NPPTL and authorized by the FDA. Buying a mask model that has been FDA authorized is the best way to ensure you and your family are getting a true respirator mask. These masks filter to greater than 95% efficiency and can be reworn, making them a perfect choice as wearing masks is one of those key things we can do to keep ourselves and our neighbors safe. Right now, the NewDealShop.com has FDA-authorized KN95 respirator masks with anti-fake stickers on every single package. These respirator masks are in stock in the U.S. and ship immediately for free for our listeners by adding the code SEXYLIBERAL. Might be one word, might be two. Not sure. Sexy liberal. You can even get 10% off the clean phone UV sanitizer just for buying these FDA authorized masks. Go to thenewdealshop.com now and get verified, authenticated, FDA authorized KN95 masks shipped immediately to your home or business. That's thenewdealshop.com, thenewdealshop.com. And now we are back with Congressman Swalwell. What do we do about Russia? And I, I don't just mean right now, but I mean, once. let's just assume Biden wins. No. We've got such a huge problem with them, and not just in terms of the elections, but I think because they've been given well, the rush, my God, the bounties on our troops in Afghanistan. Yeah. They've gotten the run, of the, the run of the house. And what do we do? I mean, of all things, I think, remember 12, with under Romney, not under Romney, but when Romney ran, we kind of laughed when he said Russia was the number one threat. 
And I don't know if they're the number one threat, but they're a way bigger threat than I think we realized eight years ago. You have to directly confront them, something the president has been unwilling to do. They, they understand one uh, language you know, other than Russian, uh, and that's the language of force. And you have to tell them now, they're not going to interfere again. We want them out of our democracy. They will not be welcome at the table of nations uh, until they start acting responsibly. And that will work uh, in a class action with other countries who have been victims before and will stitch together a coalition to hold them accountable. And the president, in instead of aligning with traditional allies to counter Russia, you know, he has insulted those allies and drawn himself closer to countries like Russia and countries that are like that are similar to Russia, like Turkey, right. the Philippines, uh, North Korea. So uh, that's how you deal with uh, Russia. They punch uh, way above uh, their weight, right. uh, a country that has limited natural resources beyond oil and gas. Uh, it's an oligarchy you know, where uh, if you're not at the very top, you're not doing very well. And we can, you know, I think, exploit uh, that, uh, you know, insist that the Russians demand better of their leadership, but you have to be aligned uh, with other countries who are victims of Russian aggression. Well, I think John McCain called them, uh, I think it was McCain, a gas station with nukes. Basically, <laughs> no, but basically meaning they're, yeah, right, yeah. They've, got, they've got oil, but they don't have much else, and nuclear weapons, but right. no, their army is nothing like what it used to be. You know, but um, I was going to ask you else about Russia with, uh, with um, why do you, why do, what do you think, what's Trump's deal with Russia? What do you think is really going on? It doesn't well, make sense I, I can tell you what we, what we know, right? Um, we know right, that- you're, And you're on House Intel Committee, although you yeah. obviously can't speak about things from the committee, uh, mostly the- But and I'll just say, you know, um, using common sense, you know, he yeah. has done uh, multiple business deals throughout his career uh, with Russia. He's been granted trademarks, you know, in Russia up until June of 2016. He was trying to do, you know, the largest, uh, you know, hotel deal uh, in Russia, and, and then he right. lied about it. And, and I think that's telling, you know, whenever you conceal something like that, I think it goes to a consciousness of guilt. So he's invested in Russia. Russia has invested uh, in him. Uh, of course, the Miss Universe contest uh, was hosted in Russia. And so whether the motives are personal, political, financial, we just know that he's done a lot of business with them. He's lied about the work that he's done with them. And most importantly, as president of the United States, he continues to put their interests above ours. And uh, that's no commander in chief that you'd want, you know, presiding over a military. If, you, if you're a blue star mom and your kid's over in Afghanistan and there's credible evidence that the Russians are paying uh, for bounties on the lives of U.S. soldiers and the president won't stand up uh, to that. And so I think he's going to pay a price uh, for that in you know, we'll see what uh, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office finds right. on his finances. The Mueller team was not able to look at it. The president and his team have stonewalled every subpoena that we've sent over around his finances. But uh, to me, someone that didn't have anything to hide as far as, you know, working with Russia financially uh, would just show us his taxes. And he refuses to do that. How, how has he gotten away with it to date, though? I feel like if we had a Demo not not I feel like, if we had a Democrat yeah. who had done the kind of things Trump has done that... All right, you, know, you don't have to use the word treason, whatever word you want to use, but it's clearly co-opted by the Russians in terms of, and especially now, the, the, the Russians, you know, Putin, at least credible reports that Putin has uh, put a bounty on American troops in Afghanistan. And then the New York Times reported that it seems several troops may have been killed. And Trump does nothing about it. It's been, I think, 39 days, something like that, that, that the public has known. Trump probably knew since last year. He's done nothing about it. If a Democrat did this, you know, we would have 
well, you know, Rick Wilson in the old days, we would have Rick Wilson right, and everybody right. else painting us as the biggest traitors on the planet. I mean, I could imagine Democrats standing up and go asking, calling for a Democrat to step down. I feel like sometimes our messaging, and again, I, I don't, well, I guess I'm asking you more as a messaging expert, because I think you're very good at this. Pelosi's good at it. Schiff is great, you know, in terms of people on the House side. But overall, collectively, I feel like our messaging is very here and here and here and here, and especially like on the trees and stuff. My God, how could a president get away with this stuff? Why isn't it resonating more? I, I think with Donald Trump, you have to just stick to two simple messages. Uh, he's childish and he's corrupt. You know, uh, sometimes, you know, he's childishly uh, corrupt, but uh, that, that is the simplest message I think that resonates with most folks. And we shouldn't, you know, overcomplicate, you know, what he's trying to do. And if you really think about what bothered what does he do that bothers you? It falls into one of those two buckets. Right. He's either right. acting childish or he's acting uh, corruptly. Right. But I think to most Americans, you have to tie that to them. And, and while I'll, always, I'll go to my grave believing that we had a righteous case to impeach him for leveraging taxpayer dollars you know, that were supposed to go to Ukraine uh, to try and get Ukraine to help in his election, for most Americans, I, and while a majority supported impeachment, they weren't in the streets, you know, marching for right. impeachment every day, as you see in some democracies, uh, you know, when they want to see a leader thrown out. And I, I think it, it, you know, it was a complicated topic. But now you look at a pandemic where we're all affected, our livelihoods been affected, you know, our kids aren't going to school, business as we know it, you know, is, is shut down. And you can point to the commander in chief, the president of the United States, not taking it seriously. And I think, John, we elect presidents not for what they do during the good times, but for how they handle and lead through the bad times. And this is kind of what he was supposed to do. I mean, this, right. his job was to, you know, as president, you're supposed to be the leader during a crisis like this. And he's been completely, uh, he, he's fumbled every uh, handoff and dropped every pass. And I, I think that's ultimately why He's going to lose re-election. I, you know, I don't think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be big. Uh, and the American people um, are going to want leadership. Do you think it's going so to I'm, opti I'm optimistic. Yeah, go on. I, if you can't tell, yeah. I'm, I'm really optimistic. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, clearly we're winning right now, but obviously 2016 sticks in my craw and sticks in everybody's craw. It was bizarre that this guy could win. And frankly, it's the same argument today. How the hell could this guy win? <laughs> you know, and sure. guess what? He did it once. I mean, and... We've been there before anyway. Bush was the same thing, just to a degree. After Bush won the first time and we said he, you know, he stole the election, then America voted for him again. You can't write that one off. You know, it's, right. it's, no, but I agree with you. I think we've got to be optimistic, but we, trust me, everybody I deal with, you know, on the activist side knows that there's yeah. no way in hell we're taking this for granted. Um, Bill Barr, so you, you had a real sparring match with him, was a week or two yep. ago uh, in the committee. Yet another, you know, and I, I was sort of asking our reader, our, our podcast followers for questions. And one of them was asking, should we impeach Bill Barr right now? I we believe we should have. Him? Yeah, <laughs> I, I believe we should have impeached him uh, before Donald Trump uh, for the way he mischaracterized the Mueller uh, report, the way yeah. he misled Congress when he was asked about uh, the Mueller report uh, when he testified. Um, but here we are, as I said, 90 days before the election. I, I think, you know, we need to continue to hold Barr and the Trump administration accountable, shine a light wherever we see corruption, and then post Donald Trump, as I said, have a presidential crimes uh, commission. So this is one where I would say, you know, um, 
the luxury of time. If we had that, yes, I would be more forcefully right. you know, calling for that. But right now, I think all of my energy uh, should be spent mobilizing people uh, from the town squares and the town halls to march on the ballot boxes. What, what kind of things could your commission do? I'm just curious, I'm getting back to that, but what are the kind of fixes? Because I look at this and I say, you know, the constitution is what sort of set up the system we've yeah. got. And guess what? The constitution we didn't realize was more of a committee, C-O-M-I-T-Y, shaking hands. We all sort of agree we're gonna hold yeah. each other accountable. And yeah. if you don't control the Congress, and the, then you're screwed, we found out. I mean, what kind of fixes could be on the table that we could consider to, well, to hold the president more accountable, to keep, to preserve congressional powers of subpoena, yeah. you know, et cetera? I think make, make it a crime for any president to accept an emolument, you know, a gift from a foreign leader. Uh, the Constitution says you can't do it, but it's not a crime. And there's really okay. no relief that the law provides, you know, when someone's doing it. Uh, get rid of this crazy idea that a president cannot be indicted. You know, I think we need to scrap that right. DOJ policy. Um, have, as, as I said, better protections uh, for whistleblowers. And as you pointed out, uh, you call it a comity. I, I call it the honor code, which is that right. you have the rule of law, which is you know, enshrined uh, in the federal code, which we all follow, hopefully. And then you have the honor code, which is just kind of a you know, gentle person's agreement that you're going to you know, ab abide by you know, certain traditions, customs, uh, you know, decorum, and the president has violated uh, all of them. You know, you don't put your kids in positions of power uh, at the White House and give them security clearances and bypass the regular process uh, for them to get that. You, you know, you turn over your taxes, uh, right? So requiring every future presidential candidate to show their taxes. So there's so much we're going to have to do right. uh, that he's exposed. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm confident the country is going to want to to do it in a bipartisan way. And I think we can find a home for a lot of these never Trumpers, uh, you know, who are going to need a place to go. This would be a, a good right. thing to work on. Right. What, how long is it going to take us to recover, you think, from coronavirus economic, and I mean the economic impact, yeah. not the virus itself, but I really worry, I'm very worried about what's coming next in terms of, you know, people not being able, the what am I looking for here? The way these things build on each other, right? People can't pay their rent, but guess what? Even though a lot of people on the left don't like landlords, landlords are business people too. So landlords can be mom and dad that have an extra apartment. Now mom and dad can't afford their mortgage. I think of my grandfather, my grandfather oldest owned a city block in Chicago, Greek immigrant, right? You know, moved, came here in the early 1900s, owned an entire city block with his brother in Chicago, lost the entire thing in the depression because the tenants couldn't pay the rent and he couldn't pay the bank. They lost yeah. everything and then just start it again from scratch. And I, I worry about all of that building. So do I. And, and not, to, but I mean, I worry about individuals and their more and their rents, but I worry about also these businesses that can't get the rents and then they lose their buildings and all of a sudden then they fire their employees and you have this cyclical unemployment in a way that, that keeps growing and do we get back from it anytime in 10 years? You know, the depression, right? The depression went on for what? Until World War II basically, that World yeah. War II snapped it, us out of it. And, and so, John, that, that's why I believe we can't spend enough right now uh, to get out of this, uh, whether it's the relief you know, of giving people an economic bridge to the other side, or it's the recovery uh, in, in you know, creating jobs in you know, rural broadband or you know, wind and solar and fuel cells to you know, reduce our carbon emissions. You know, as I said earlier, you know, infrastructure needs, you know, put people to work, invest uh, in building something uh, better. And that's what the future uh, will look like. But 
we have to get the healthcare crisis right first. Uh, you know, I believe we have the resiliency for the economy to come back and come back in a way that is more you know, fair for all Americans. Uh, but if we don't get this virus under control, you know, forget about it. What, um, you know, I wanted to ask you too, I know you had said you had about a half an hour, so I think we, we may have five minutes more. Um, your presidential run, um, I, I was for Pete. Biden was yeah, fine. I like Pete. I like Pete, but I always said Biden was fine, but I, I like Pete, but I also, I said good things about you, by the way, in our podcast as well. Um, you did, you and, did. No, you. I did, I, but, but, I'm, but I also said, I had the feeling you jumped in way too late. You, you might've been like the 22nd Democrat, I wanna say, that came in. Yeah. So the field was way too crowded and there was just no way you could get your, I think there was no way you could get your message out at that yeah. point. You know, I mean, who else? Remember? No, uh, I, I think yeah, a couple, anyway, yeah, go on, I'm sorry. I, I think about that. Uh, so I, you know, I ran because I wanted to be a champion on the issues of the next generation. You know, what got you into, why did you even come in so late at that point? What got you to say, you know what, I'm still gonna try with such a crowded so I was so focused on uh, helping us win uh, the house uh, and so, uh, you know, the, the speaker had asked me to lead an effort uh, to try and elect young people. So we called it Future 40. We found 40 candidates in their 40s and under running in the most flippable seats. 29 of them won. And so I traveled to their states and, you know, helped them uh, with uh, volunteer efforts to get out the vote. And so after uh, the election, you know, I, I jumped in around uh, April. Uh, but, you know, standing up the new majority, going into the investigations on Intel and uh, the Judiciary Committee, they consumed a lot of time. And, you know, thinking back on it, because I do ask myself, what, what would it have looked like if I jumped in in January? Right. I guess I would say, because Mayor Pete got in a couple months before I did, and I, I, I think of all the candidates, he occupied the lane that I had wanted right. uh, most. Right. However, when you look at, you know, where Mayor Pete, you know, ended up at the end of the race, you know, he was still um, kind of pulling in, you know, the high single digits, low double right. digits. And so if I think it through, like if I had been able to occupy Mayor Pete's lane by getting in a few months earlier, I still think no matter what happened, it just wasn't a generational uh, election. And, and right. so, I mean, Mayor Pete, I mean, gosh, I mean, Rhodes Scholar, Midwest, veteran. Um, I mean, he, he had, you know, all of the, the pieces that you'd want, you know, right. in a profile to make a generational case. But, but I, I think the voters, again, being so anxious about a second Trump term, uh, and this was what was expressed to me over and over, they wanted experience. And so it, I don't think it's a mistake that the, la the last three candidates standing were uh, Vice President Biden and Senators Sanders uh, and Warren, you know, right. three most experienced candidates uh, in right. the field. Right. No, and I think that's what made it really hard is because we had such good candidates. And even beyond yeah. them, I liked a lot of the candidates, but those three I mean, to a degree, and Pete did this, and your race may have just begun to do it. You know, Pete put his name on the map so he can try again next time. And I assume, are you going to try again next time, or at least uh, is it is it, is it I, on is it open for discussion? I mean, you haven't foreclosed running again, have you? No, and the truth is, yeah. the advice I give uh, my interns when they ask, like, how do I run for office? How do I get into office? Right. Is to not not run for office, but to run for issues, and you'll find the right office. And right. for me, as I said. Uh, gun violence was the, the lead issue that I ran on. And I, I thought having the majority in the House, we would need, you know, a, a president that would make that a, a top issue. And so, right. you know, I was drawn you know, to that opportunity. So we'll see. Um, I still want to serve those issues. And I, I think the best offices will, or the best ways uh, will present themselves. But right now, 
I think there's a lot of good work to do in the house. And if we win that Holy Trinity, as I said, right. you know, I, I see a real opportunity in the first hundred days to pass the most sweeping, you know, gun safety legislation ever uh, and really make a mark. Well, I was going to ask you that. I mean, maybe just out the door on gun issues, you know, and too bad Cliff isn't here because Cliff has worked a long time on gun issues. I've done a little bit of working on it, but um, do you really think we can make a difference? I think for a lot of us, we feel like, you know, how many massacres can this country have every year before people say enough is enough? And it kind of feels like they're never going to say enough is enough. I think we already are. And this March for Our Lives generation, they're still coming of age. Yeah. Uh, they've not fully made their mark at the ballot box. Uh, they will soon. But in the 2018 midterms, you know, people, candidates were not running away from the issue of gun safety. They were running on that issue. And more money was spent uh, by, you know, gun groups who wanted gun safety measures than by the NRA. And so I, I do see a change happening, not as fast as I would like as a parent, you know, with two young kids who, right. you know, go to school and you want them to be safe. But I, I do think that it's going to happen. It's going to happen before, um, you know, the end of this new decade. Uh, and it's going to look a lot different for my kids uh, than the children before them who've had to suffer through these, you know, mass shooting uh, exercises. Yeah. Yeah. If we ever get you them all back to school. Yeah. So, <laughs> I know. For, well, well, thank for you for this, this John. This, this is, was uh, great thinking. I appreciate you coming on and, um, you know, good, good luck and everything, but obviously in the fall, hopefully we're all going to, we're all going to win in the next year. We can, next confident. year we can fight about confidence, the details. Confidence inspires the confidence. So absolutely. You have all the reason in the world to be confident. All right. Thanks, Congressman. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks, John.